This is the fifth of six podcasts from the Royal Irish Academy History of Emotion series. The speaker is Dr. Georgina Larragui on grief. Hello, my name is Georgina Larragui. I'm a historian working at Trinity College in Dublin and Glasnevin Cemetery. If I was able to get onto the site today, unfortunately because of COVID I can't, I would be among headstones and grassy verges and the beautiful old trees of the cemetery. The birds are often singing and hopping around and squirrels are diving for cover under trees and bushes. I'm going to talk a little bit today about the history of the cemetery in the context of the history of the emotions and dark tourism. The cemetery was established in 1832, born of the challenges that were faced by Catholics and dissenters when having to bury their dead. Up to 1824, everyone had to be buried in church grounds owned and managed by the Church of Ireland. After legislation passed in that year, an act called the Easement of Burial Act, Catholics and others could buy their own land to bury their dead as they saw fit. The Dublin Cemeteries Committee was established during this decade and under Daniel O'Connell, it opened a graveyard at Golden Bridge near Richmond Barracks. But the site was considered too small almost immediately and a further property was purchased north of Drumcondra at Lasnevin. The committee were committed to running a non-sectarian burial facility that welcomed people of all faiths and none. Today the cemetery is still operating as a burial ground, so it's not only a site of personal loss, but it's also the final resting place of leading figures in Irish political and cultural life, such as Michael Collins, Brendan Behan and Luke Kelly, the poet Jared Manley Hopkins and trade unionist Rosie Hackett. They're all buried in Glasnevin and it's become a space of commemoration. Placemaking at Lasnevin has been impacted by the enormous political funerals of the heroes of Ireland's independence movement, including Constance Markovitch, Eamon de Valera and Roger Casement. However, alongside those figures lay thousands, almost over a million, of Dublin's ordinary citizens who were interred within this community of the dead, a community that connects and creates a community of the living, both in Dublin and beyond. I'm going to talk a little bit about the relationship between emotion, space and place in the context of this cemetery. It's a place of both public and private grief. I want to ask what role emotion plays in shaping the place of the country's largest cemetery and what emotions do we experience when we move through the space. We typically associate grief, loss and sadness with burial grounds, but also visible on the headstones is love. Beloved is one of the most frequently used words on the monuments throughout the graveyard. Considering the history of the emotions generally and those of grief, sadness and love in particular, we can connect with Glasnevin in a very particular way. From the enormous political funerals of the early 20th century through to the tiny funerals of recent months as COVID-19 has stripped away much of the ritual and the people that surround us usually in death. As well as being a private place of mourning for individuals and their families where one of the final moments of the ritual of saying goodbye to a loved one is played out, Glasnevin is also an historic space where tourists, both domestic and international, visit on most days, the pandemic notwithstanding, obviously. 21st century school tours and tour buses stand in a long tradition of people visiting cemeteries for leisure and recreation, particularly in urban areas. 
The establishment of cemeteries beyond city limits can be pinpointed in the modern period to the 1780s in Paris, when a royal ordinance declared that the cemetery of the Holy Innocents was a danger to health and life in the city. Five years later, the process of exhuming and reinterring the remains of the thousands buried within the Cemetery of the Holy Innocents began in the Paris catacombs that you can visit today. Then in the early 19th century, the vast picturesque garden that was Père Lachaise Cemetery began to receive new burials and it's also a very popular tourist site. This making and remaking of spaces for the dead is visible across the world. Britain, America, India, Ireland, Australia, almost any location where the dead are buried. From the 18th century, cemeteries built on the edge of urban areas provided much needed green spaces for those whose daily movements saw them walk through busy streets that were filled with hawkers and animals and peddlers and children, all of whom occupied the same spaces, particularly in working class areas of cities. In Dublin, somebody with a disposable income might travel to Kingstown in the 19th century, now Dunleary, or to Hoth to take in the sea air. But those with more limited funds might take to the Garden Cemetery of Glasnevin, which was in relative walking distance of the north inner city. James C. Scholes, a visitor from Bolton in England, noted in his guidebook Random Rambles, which was published in 1877, that Glasnevin offered a romantic yet mournful aspect. Today, we think of romance purely in terms of romantic love, but Scholes was referencing the romanticism of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, a movement that was steeped in ideas about emotion, the individual, death and the landscape. He declared that in Glasnevin, such expressions of love, attachment and devotedness as there can be seen almost at every turn carved on the gravestones in this pretty yet sacred enclosure, a place where one would wish to rest and a glance at which involuntarily brings to mind not a few sad memories of the past. In these reflections on the emotions he experienced while at Las Nevin, Scholes mentions the passing sadness induced by the visit. And it causes us to wonder why he or us or we would visit somewhere on our holidays that's going to make you sad. What Scholes was doing it was evidence of an early phenomenon known in heritage studies as dark tourism or thanato tourism. And this refers to visiting places associated with death or sites of death. People do this for entertainment purposes as well as for educational purposes. Auschwitz in Poland or the Kigali Genocide Memorial in Rwanda sit at the very extreme or darkest end of a spectrum of such tourism, which has been developed by academic Philip Stone. Glasnevin, not predominantly associated with being a site of death, is rather one associated with death. So Glasnevin sits somewhere in the middle, straddling the divide between education and commemoration on the one hand and entertainment and tourism on the other. Gillian O'Brien, an Irish historian working at John Moores University in Liverpool, has just published a book called The Darkness Echoing, which offers an entertaining and reflective guidebook to the various dark tourism sites in Ireland, including among hundreds Kilmainham Jail, the National Famine Museum in Strokestown, the Irish Workhouse Centre in Portumna in County Galway, as well as a number of burial grounds. Each of these sites, along with Glasnevin, has to ask itself a kind of complicated set of questions relating to emotion, heritage and dark tourism. 
how far should a heritage site attempt to elicit or produce a particular type of emotional response? How emotionally impacted do you really want people to be? Visitors leaving in floods of tears won't necessarily welcome in the passerby or be any comfort to the tourist lining up to buy a ticket. But as public history scholar Hilda Keane says, even in conventional public history settings, people bring their own emotions to a visit. Visitors can have very strong emotional responses when going to art galleries or museums that often have very little perceived dark content or material. Very recent work by Martini and Buddha on the ways in which place and emotion interact in the realm of dark tourism suggests that affect bleeds into dark places in unpredictable forms with unexpected intensities, which can have an impact on how a tourist interacts with the space. So coming across a monument in Glasnevin, such as the one that's dedicated to the three children of Patrick and Eliza Griffin. Each of the three children died during what must have been a very painful 10-day period in November 1841. And it's likely that coming across such a monument would provoke very strong emotions in most visitors, in particular those who may have suffered the loss of a child. And it's not only the individual stories of loss that precipitate strong emotional responses. Visitors can also experience pride in the sacrifice made by the National Army when they go to the National Army plot, which is near where Michael Collins is buried or contains Michael Collins. You can also have a very emotional response in identifying the child victims of the 1916 Rising, which are named on the necrology wall at Glasnevin. And equally powerful is the anger that many people feel at Crown forces being named and placed alongside the Irish volunteers on that same wall. Crown forces and the volunteers would have been fighting against each other in the conflicts during the Irish Revolution. The emotions that are experienced at Glasnevin are not confined to those we associate with loss and death, however, because the space functions in multiple different ways. It's an emotive space, its history, its current activities and purpose, the sense of community that's both familial, local, national and political are all evident across the site. And they pose very interesting questions when we go to think about the history of the emotion and space in the context of heritage in contemporary Ireland.